Good morning. Welcome to Stonebridge. My name is Matt. I think y'all know me. So here's a fun fact about me. I know how to shoot a gun. Okay. However, you would not want me in a pressure situation with a gun. I don't have the experience or the training to know what to do in an actual situation. I've shot targets. That's it. (laughs) Now, I know many of you could. Many of you are trained for that. Here's where I'm going with it. So, I found this quote on gotquestions.org, which actually is a great, um, credible source if you have questions about the Bible. But it said this, knowledge is knowing how to use a gun. Wisdom is knowing when to use it and when to keep it holstered. Let me read that again. Knowledge is knowing how to use a gun. Wisdom is knowing when to use it and when to keep it holstered. And so this morning, as we look at Daniel 2, and you can start turning there if you'd like. As we look at Daniel 2, we're going to redefine courage a little bit. It certainly is what, how Joey defined it last week. It's strength in the face of trouble. But that strength has to be used with wisdom or it's just reckless. Just because you have strength, just because you have power, doesn't mean that you are courageous. Because if you use it without wisdom, it's reckless. In Daniel 2, you see this, this wicked king, Nebuchadnezzar, and he's influential, he's powerful, he has, he has infinite resources at his disposal, yet he is not courageous, he's actually a reckless wimp because he lacks wisdom. Daniel, however, we're going to see in contrast, has very little influence, very little power, and very little resources. I mean, he got a little bit at the end of Daniel 1, but still not much compared to King Nebuchadnezzar, yet he's courageous because he's wise with what he did have. So let's take a look. Daniel chapter 2. In the second king of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his spirit and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the, words, the word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered second time and said, let, let the king tell his servants the dream and then we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word for me is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there's there's not a man on earth. Who can meet the king's demand? For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult. No no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. 
Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Let's stop there for now. We see in verses 1 through 13, King Nebuchadnezzar described, and he's reckless. And he's reckless in two major ways. First, he just demands. Look at this, verse 5. He's, he's like, don't just show me the interpretation. Gets all his wise guys around him, okay? These guys that he appointed and trusts or is supposed to trust. And he's like, hey, don't just tell me what my dream means. Tell me what I dreamed. Tell me what the dream was itself. He's demanding. And, and just as a side note, the, it says Chaldeans here several times in this list of people. It was just a people group in Babylon, known for their knowledge of, of magic and spiritual things and that, that sort of thing. So um, just as a side note. But he's demanding, and he continues to demand. You, you go down to verses 8 and 9, and he's essentially saying to them, I, I don't trust you. I don't care if this is impossible. Give it to me right now. And he, I mean, he doesn't say that, but you can hear it in what he's saying there. Give it to me now. He's demanding And it's a ridiculous demand. And these guys know at verse 10 and 11, it's rather ironic because these guys respond and go, hey, there there isn't a person on earth who could tell you your dream and its interpretation. Only, Only the gods could tell you this. And it's ironic because God is the one who ends up telling him through Daniel. But King Nebuchadnezzar is anything but wise because he's demanding. But he's not just demanding, he's reactionary. He reacts. Again, in verse 5, he doesn't just say, hey, I'm going to kill you if you don't tell me this. He says, I'm going I'm to tear you apart limb from limb and have your house destroyed. Okay, there's, there's a lot of ways to kill people. Not that I think sit around and try to think of ways to kill people, but there's a lot of ways to do it, right? And this guy goes to the worst. Okay, he's just reacting. He's mad. I'm going to tear you from limb to limb and destroy your house. And he follows through on it. Almost. Verse 12. I mean, he might have for some of them. We don't know how long it took for them to get to Daniel. All of his wise guys. He's angry. He's very furious, it says. And all of his wise guys are destroyed. And he says, I want them to be destroyed now. Torn from limb to limb. Reactionary. Why was King Nebuchadnezzar like this? It's because he's insecure. In his heart of hearts, King Nebuchadnezzar was an insecure guy. And it's rather strange if you step back and look at it. We learn right at the beginning in verse 1, this guy had it all. Okay, he's, he's a king of one of the greatest empires on the earth at the time, Babylon. Yet, a single dream makes, his, makes him anxious about losing it all. His security was built on the shifting sands of the things of this earth. His hope was built on nothing less than his own power and his own righteousness and his own control. And so he's, he's insecure ultimately because his functional God, not just who he said was God, but who, who his God really was in the way that he lived was himself. And anyone, anything, any dream that threatens him, that threatens me, 
is in his way. So he reckless, recklessly demands and reacts. And he does this. Why? He does this because he's grasping for control. What he's standing on is, 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 is not secure. Therefore, he is insecure to his core. And so he's grasping for control, for security, for the peace that always seems to elude him, even though he has everything. In contrast, we see Daniel, who is wise and who is secure. Let's, let's keep reading. Look at verse 14 with me. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their other names, 18, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel uh, blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we have asked of you for you have made known to, the, to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and thus said to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king. As you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries and made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. So in verses 14 to 30, we see in contrast to reckless Nebuchadnezzar, wise Daniel. And in verse 14, it says that Daniel replied with prudence and discretion. Immediately, contrast to Nebuchadnezzar. Prudence and discretion. That means tact. That means wisdom. Daniel knew when to keep the gun holstered and when to get the gun out and use it. See, we see, we see in this section... A, a living example of the book of Proverbs. If you're, if you're familiar with the book of Proverbs, 
Um, and if you're not, you, you should go check it out. But um, Billy Graham used to say about the book of Proverbs that he, he would read one chapter in Proverbs a day to help him out with his relationships with other people. And I think that's incredibly wise, which is the theme of Proverbs. What we see in real time in Daniel's life, wisdom displayed, the book of Proverbs displayed. But Daniel, Daniel responds in two ways. He acts in two ways. First, he asks. He doesn't demand, he asks. He asks clarifying questions. Look, the first thing he does, he says, why is the decree of the king so urgent? He clarifies what's happening here. Now remember, Daniel is probably a teenager, okay? He's probably a teenager, verses one, verse 1, verse 4. He's, they call them youths without blemish. So he's a teenager, or somewhere around there, he's a young guy. And remember what's about to happen to him. Someone shows up, and they're about to tear him from limb to limb and burn down his house. Now, I'm just trying to think of me at age 17, okay? And maybe you're there, okay? So you can go there with me, but just imagine yourself at age 17. Someone shows up. They're going to tear you from limb to limb. What do you do? Okay, I'm either going to fight back and try to kill them, or I'm running, okay? That's, that's me. Daniel asks a clarifying question. I don't know how he did this outside of God himself helping him out and and giving him this wisdom. But he asks a question, and ultimately he asks a really wise question. He asks a question to try to buy some time so that no matter what's happening, he wants to figure out what's happening so that he knows he can have some time to go and ask God because he trusts God that much. God can deliver me from this, whatever it is, whatever's happening, I can go and plead with my God. And he can take care of this if he wants to. So he asked a clarifying question. He also asked for permission. Verse 16, he went in and requested the king to appoint him a time. Think about it. In his excitement, in this dire situation, a teenager goes in and requests. He still has this respect for the king. I mean, think about it. Even even as adults sometimes we struggle with this right asking for permission instead of just going no i need this now or i I think like in social situations sometimes where it's like oh cool this is a really cool meme so i just interrupt someone take a look at this you know and we just uh, just react but he's he's asking he's asking for permission he requested to see the king and then he asked for other people's help verse 17 and 18 he gets his he gets his buddies shadrach meshach and Abednego. And he told him to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. He asked for help. Daniel's not like, I've got this. I'm just going to go to God in prayer myself. I'm going to take care of this myself. No, he gets some help and he gets other people praying for him and this situation. See, asking for help and praying and asking other people to pray is strength, not weakness. Hear me well. Asking for help is strength, not weakness. It's wisdom. See, for us today, so many people wait until things are just a little, a little cleaner on the outside. A little more put together, then I'll ask for help. And it's junk. It's what the devil wants us to do. See, Daniel doesn't even have the interpretation of the dream yet. 
Okay? He's received nothing from God. He's still going to get killed. He's in the middle of it. He's in the middle of the mess. And he goes and asks for help from his friends. That's when you and I need to go and ask for help from one another. Daniel understood what Jesus said years later. He understood the power of two or three gathering in God's name. The power of prayer together. So he asked for others' help. And then he asked God himself. Now we don't see this explicitly here that that Daniel went and prayed. But you know he did. If he's asking his friends to go and pray like their life depended on it, certainly he was praying as well like his life depended on it because it did. And asking God was his second nature. I mean, we see throughout this book, we're going to see Daniel is a man of prayer. And it's implied here, I think, because Daniel was probably praying throughout this process. I mean, all along the way, Daniel's in prayer. So Daniel wisely asks instead of demanding. And then he acts. Instead of reacting, he acts. And there's a big difference. He's still bold, though. When he acts... It is bold. Think about it. He goes to the king and risks telling him the dream incorrectly. Okay? God gives him this dream, gives him the interpretation. But you better believe Daniel had some some fear going on in his mind. Like, what? okay, I know I got this from God, but what if it's wrong? And And I still get torn limb from limb, and so does everyone else. And maybe it ends up being worse for everyone. I'm sure he had doubts. But yet he went anyways. He boldly acted. But I also want you to consider that he is bringing to the king a dream and an interpretation that is absolutely terrible news for King Nebuchadnezzar. Terrible news. We're not going to read through this today because in in chapter 7 when we get there, um, Daniel has a similar vision to chapter 2. So we'll dig into the specifics of the dream then. But he's essentially telling the king, your whole empire is going to crumble. I mean, I'd be afraid that he's going to tear me from limb to limb anyways. Just because of the interpretation. But he does it. He goes in, he requests, he asks, and then he acts. He is bold. It is bold to tell anybody bad news, right? But especially a tyrant king. And he does it. But here's what I want to point out about Daniel and his acting versus reacting. He's a peacemaker. A book was written by Ken Sandy called The Peacemaker. And he, he um, expounds on this. So this is where I got this idea. But he's a peacemaker. He's bold. He's tactful. He's loving. And he confronts when necessary. He has hard conversations and he does the hard things. But he's not a wimpy peacekeeper. There's a difference. Peacekeeper versus peacemaker. Peacekeepers in this situation would have avoided it altogether and just been killed. Peacekeepers would have maybe gotten someone else to do it. I'll ask, I'll ask uh, Shadrach to, to go do this for me. He doesn't do that. Peacekeepers probably would have stalled for some more time and then just kept stalling. But no, 
He's not staying with the status quo. Daniel knows that things have to change, so he's not a peacekeeper, he's a peacemaker. And he also, he also rejects the, um, I, I'm sure, temptation to be a, a, a brash peace wrecker, like Nebuchadnezzar. A peace wrecker isn't asking anyone for permission isn't asking anyone anything. They're just going to, man, right now, I need to talk to the king and probably just make up a dream and interpretation and just go for it. There's no, there's no acting, just reacting. And maybe, maybe they just skip all that and he'd go on a killing spree and kill Arioch, the guy who came to him, and, and, and just go nuts. But wise, bold Daniel is a peacemaker. He, reject, he rejects the seductive call of peacekeeping He rejects the reckless desire of peace wrecking and boldly takes up the mantle of peacemaking that God called him to and then equipped him for. Why does Daniel do this? Why does Daniel act instead of react? Why does he ask instead of demand? Why is he so wise? Here's why. Because he was secure. His heart was secure. Verse 30, Daniel says, to the king, but as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living. Where did that type of security come from? It is hyper secure to say what Daniel just said in verse 30. I mean, who, who deflects like that? This isn't from me, king. Who steps to the side out of the spotlight? Okay, who, who does that? Someone who's super secure because they're finding their security in God. Their functional God, not just who they say is God, but their functional God day to day in their thoughts, in their speech, and everything they do is God. Daniel finds true, solid security in the only place it can be found, and that's in God. His rock. And by the way, in this dream, in, at the end of the dream, there's, there's all of these, these, these statues being made and out of different substances. And at the end, a rock, which isn't made by any human's hand, a rock comes in and destroys these statues. And it represents God and His kingdom that will be established. God's rule. And it's for a good reason. It's because it's a sign of security. And Daniel is secure. Here's how Daniel finds his security. He, he finds it throughout this chapter. He finds his security by asking God for the dream. He had security in who God is. Verse 18, he says to his friends, Hey, seek mercy from the God of heaven. Now, think about this for a second. He recognizes that God is merciful. He's finding his security in who God is. I know that Daniel's essentially saying, I know that I am messed up. I know that I am a sinner. But God, in his mercy, can give me in this situation what I do not deserve. That's mercy. God is merciful. That's his nature. So I'm, I'm begging you, God, to do this because of who you are. And I am standing firm because of who you are, God. But it doesn't stop there. Seek mercy from the God of heaven. He's like, yeah, remember these guys said 
These, these magicians, these Chaldeans, they said, yeah, no one, no one can do this except the gods. So Daniel appeals to God. Not the God of this earth, certainly is, created everything, but the God of heaven, who is totally not of this earth, so he can do supernatural things. And so I'm appealing to God, who is of heaven. Daniel is so secure because his security is found in who God is. He's also secure because he finds his security in what God did. In God's actions. He praises God before anything. Once God reveals it to him. Verse 19 and 20. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision that night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. See... Most of us would go and tell our friends right away, which wouldn't be a terrible thing to do, right? It'd be a fine thing to do. Guys, God answered our prayer. It's amazing. He let us know we're not going to be killed. But instead, he goes right to God and praises God because ultimately his security is found in God and who he is and what he's doing and what he's up to. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, he says. But then he finds security in what God's going to do. He gives credit to God. Verse 28, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He is made known. Verse 45, at the end, a great God is made known to the king. What shall be after this? Why didn't Daniel take credit? He didn't take credit because he trusted what God will do with him. Daniel didn't know what was going to happen to him. But he he doesn't take credit, even though he could have, because he trusts God with the results. You might be like, why? It hasn't happened yet. How do you do this, Daniel? Because he's looking back. Okay, I know who God is. He's merciful. He's from heaven. I know what he's done. He, he's come through before for me. He's done incredible things. I know he's going to come through because of his track record. So I can trust him with the future. And the results, verses 46 through 49, essentially this. Wise Daniel is rewarded. He gets a high position and he also gets the reward of God being praised. Which is a reward for Daniel and for us. Whenever God gets the praise, that is a win for followers of Jesus. Because that is the point. And then reckless Nebuchadnezzar gets humbled. So here's, here's what we need to do with this. And if you've been, and if you've been spacing out, because we all tend to do that, I want you to listen up right now. You have a choice every day to recklessly demand and react like Nebuchadnezzar or to wisely and courageously ask and act like Daniel. You have that choice several times a day. Courage is not just for standing up to kings. You might read this and go, I've never been in a situation like that. Probably never will be. My everyday life is pretty boring compared to this. You have opportunities every day. You've had opportunities already this morning to act wisely. Wisdom is courage. Courage is wisdom. You have a choice in a real significant way to be wisely courageous today and tomorrow. So here's what I want to do. I just want to give you some examples from different, from different relationships and spheres in, in our lives 
where you would have an opportunity to do this and, and show you a little bit what this would look like. So this week, someone shared with me, someone in our church shared this with me, and it, it, it was incredibly courageous. So this person was at work, and they got a phone call from a client. And this client, uh, he found out, had cancer. And, and, and instead of just kind of getting through the call and going to the next thing, because this person had a lot going on in their life, really busy this week, like tons on their plate. I got to get through this. They asked them about the situation and found out that this person was dying. Just had a few months to live. And so they, they acted and they asked, even though they were busy and ended up having an hour and a half conversation and even had an opportunity to talk to this person about Jesus. Now, I know we have to be careful in all this in workplace environments. And you, you do. You need to be respectful. But sometimes you need to be bold. You probably have way more opportunities to talk about Jesus with people than you think. But before we even get there, even if he didn't have that opportunity, he sacrificed his time. He sacrificed everything that was on his plate to be courageous, to be wise, to ask and act at work. Even when it was inconvenient, even when there was risk involved. Let's go a little more close to home. Let's pretend, maybe not pretend for some of us some days, right? But let's pretend... um, You get home and your spouse seems a little off. Okay, maybe a little edgy. Not quite themselves. Or maybe you could say it could be with your kids too. A little edgy, not themselves. And you're like, you could demand and go, hey, we need you to calm down. Okay, we eat the rest of the, we need you to calm down and be yourself. Stop it. Right? Or you could ask and go, hey, how are you feeling today? You could react by becoming edgy yourself. Well, I'm going to show her. I'm going to show him. I'll just be edgy back. Or you could act and say, hey, could I, could I take the kids for a half hour so you can get a nap? I want to help you out. Or what, what would be really helpful to you? See, that's being courageous in everyday life. That is being courageously wise. What about with friends? What if you have a friend that seems to be ignoring you? Just unfollow them on Facebook. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you could demand, right? You could go, you, you could say to them, probably text them or something and be like, quit ignoring me. What's your problem? Or you could ask, hey, it's been a while. Everything all right? You could react. You could assume that they're upset with you and that it's your fault. So I, I'm done with them. Just done. Cold shoulder, nothing, I'm, I'm gone. Or you could act and say, hey, want to hang out? See, we have opportunities in all of our relationships every day to be courageously wise. Ultimately, though, it's rooted in security. Just like Nebuchadnezzar, if we are not actually secure in Christ, changes that we make in our life won't last. I mean, we've tried this before. We've tried to do things like, I'm going to be less reactionary. And then you're, you do that for a half hour. And then you're, you're overreacting again, right? 
But if you're growing in your security in Christ, you can actually change. Growing is the key word, though. Can can we just all stand here or, or sit here? Can we all just admit this morning that we are all insecure to some extent? I mean, let's just stop pretending. None of us are God. Last time I checked. Okay? Pretty certain none of us in here are God. Which means that we have insecurity. Because we're not in control. Growing is the key word. Growing. And it's not even growing in our security. Because if you are, if you are in Christ, you've never been more secure than you were the moment you came to know Him. So it's growing in your awareness of that security. Here's the thing. We can be like Daniel and find our security in who God is. Remind us that He is merciful. That He is of heaven. That He is good even when He doesn't seem good. You are good. I can cling to Scripture that tells me who God is. That He is is loving. That He is kind. That He is just when injustice is done to us. See, we, we can cling to who God is. Find our security, not in ourselves, but in God. The whole self-esteem deal. Throw it out the window. Find security, not in self. Find esteem, not in self, but in who God is. That's secure. You can find security even more than Daniel did in what God has done in His actions, right? I mean, Jesus hadn't come yet. Yet, Daniel found security in God's work. So how much more secure can we be in the finished work of Christ who went to the cross for us, who rose from the dead, gave us His Holy Spirit? How much more secure can we be in what God has done, His track record, than Daniel? And think about it, in what God will do. I mean, for one, God has a longer track record now for us to look at than Daniel. But we have all the Bible to stand on. Here's how we can have security in things that haven't happened. Because we look to who God is. We look to what He's done. And so we know that what He says, what He promises us, is as good as done. And in the end, He is in control. And He's doing what is best. Here's the good news for us today. If you follow Jesus, you've never been more or less secure than from the moment you believe. We just grow in our awareness of His security. But you are right now 100% secure because of what He has done. Regardless of yourself. And if you don't follow Jesus, here's your hope. You can today. You can say, I'm, I'm following you. I'm believing in you. And receive that security forever today. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the security that we receive from you. I pray for those that are in here that don't know you, that they would find their security in you today, God. I pray for those that have 100% security and assurance in their life. I pray that they would Believe it today. That you would set them free, God. I pray that you would make us wise. Make us courageous. Help us in those moments where we just want to react. Where we want to demand. Help us, God. 
to be wise. We need your help. That is so difficult to live out. Give me strength. Give them strength. Give us each strength, God, from your Holy Spirit. We need you, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.